Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just we come before you right now, Lord. Um, Lord, I, just, I lift up uh, Pastor Jim to you, Lord, as, as he's bringing the word, Lord God, there at the camp. Um, would you open people's hearts to be receptive to that, Lord? And would you be here in this place, Lord God, speaking through this meager vessel? I just, I pray, God, that you would give me your words and that you would uh, just speak to our hearts, Lord, and uh, may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the topic that we are going to be using this morning, if, if it'll pop up there, waiting for our technical difficulties. Um, on what foundation do you stand? What is your foundation? Okay. Um, what are you, ah, there we go. What are you standing on? Um, are you standing on the rock? Or are you standing on sand? Okay. Two houses here. Both of them are by the ocean. Only one had a slight accident, and the other, uh, other did not. Slight accident. <laughs> For those of you who are listening at home, uh, the flood came and completely washed it away. Uh, slight accident. Um, but the topic, the verse that we're going to read this morning is, is from Matthew 7. Jesus has just finished his Sermon on the Mount. He has just got done teaching about three and a half chapters of arguably the most important sermon ever given in the Bible. And this is how he concludes the sermon. After he just got done preaching to the multitude, these are his final words. Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of that house. There are a couple observations I kind of want us all to get on the same page about. Just some general things to think about in this text. Okay? For starters, Jesus calls the one who hears the words and obeys them, he calls that person a wise man with a strong foundation, unlike this microphone. <laughs> um, Jesus calls the one who hears his words and does not obey them, he calls them a fool with a weak foundation. I would also direct you to that point of this passage that the floods and the winds, they are plural. They both end with the S, right? Meaning, expect this to happen more than once. And whether we listen to him or not, whether we obey him or not, the rains, the floods, the troubles of life, they will happen again and again and again. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but it's important that we need to hear that from time to time, right? The storms, the storms were the same for both men, but obedience to Christ, that's what changed the outcome done to those houses. You see, because we cannot just be hearers of his word, but we must also be doers. Otherwise, great will be the fall, okay? 
Many of us come here every Sunday. We hear Pastor Jim get up and preach, and he preaches an awesome sermon. We, we go out the door, we thank him, we shake his hand, we tell him, great sermon, Pastor Jim. And then about an hour later, we probably have forgotten most of it. If not today, then tomorrow, and the next day. And it, probably by next Sunday, if Pastor Jim were to start off the sermon with a quiz, what did we talk about last week? I, I'm sure that 90% of us would stand there with looking down at our shoes, hoping he doesn't call on us. I know that I, I am guilty of that. I, I'm not excluding myself from that. Why? Because we heard the word, but we didn't apply it. We, we weren't doers of the word. And that's where so many of us fall short. The brother of Jesus, James, he, he said almost the exact same thing. He said, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Otherwise, you are only deceiving yourselves. We cannot just be there and listen. We also must do. Okay? The Greek word for wise here is phronimos. It literally means prudent, mindful, thoughtful, cautious, discreet. The Greek word for fool in this passage, I thought was very interesting, is moros. It means dull, stupid, absurd. It's where we get our English word moron. So when we don't apply the word, I'm a moron. <laughs> I hear it, but I don't act on it. Jesus' words, not mine. Now you see some of the Bible scholars, they, they point to the house and they say, oh, well, you know, the house, the house is symbolic of your life. Okay, great. So what are you building with your life? Okay, how are you building it? What are you building it? Where, not, Jesus asked the question of where. I'll just add what and how onto that. How are you building your life? Other Bible scholars, they see the word house in there and they think it has a different meaning. They think that the house represents you, that Christ living in you, inside of you, because you are the temple of God, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3. I frankly don't care what house is, if house means life, or if house is Christ dwelling inside of you, because the end result is still the same. What are you doing with it? How are you decorating it? If, if the house that Jesus is talking about in this passage is the Spirit of God living inside of you, how are you decorating your house? What are you filling your house with? What are you filling God's house with? What kind of stuff are you putting in there? I mean, what are you watching at home? What are you reading? What websites do you visit? What TV shows do you watch? What movies do you go to? What do you do on your phone? What games do you play? What social media apps do you engage with? I could just go on and on and on and on. But what are you filling yourself with? What are you putting in the house of God that resides inside of you? Things of the world or things of Christ? Things that would bring him honor? Or, or things that would bring him shame. I, I want you to think about those things. Because they are important. How do you build your house? What do you fill your house with? Because if they, they say the, uh, the eyes are, are the window to the soul, right? Well, how healthy is your soul? Right? Jesus said uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, if... 
If the eyes are healthy, then the whole body is healthy. If the eyes are, are, are dark and sick, then the whole body is sick. So what are you letting your eyes view? Things of God or things not? Because there is no in-between. No, there is no gray in this. It's either for God or it's not. It's, it's straight up that simple. <laughs> uh, David said it like this, right? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. If we are filling our house, if we are building our house, however you want to think about house, if the Lord is not part of it, it doesn't mean anything. It's fruitless. It's pointless. It truly is. It truly is. I think this is why Paul later in uh, another part of Scripture I just thought of when he says, um, when he talks about when we stand before God on the day of judgment, that all of the, the things that, that were useless, the wheat or the, the shaft, the dust, the wood, the, stay, the, the, uh, the, the hay, the stubble, it's all going to be burned away. Only the silver, the gold, the precious things will remain. The stuff that's useless will be consumed in the glory of his presence. So what are you building? Because if the Lord is not part of it, it's going to be in vain. Because when we build things without God, it is foolishness. And biblical foolishness is slightly different than worldly foolishness. Biblical foolishness is not a position. It's not a limitation, unlike worldly foolishness. In the Bible, it doesn't matter how, if you are old or young, poor or rich, whether you are a male or female, whether you are a high school dropout or you have a PhD, and everything in between. Foolishness in the Bible is always about your character. Your character. So what kind of character are you cultivating? You can tell a lot about a person's foundation that you are building on by your character when you face trials. Let me say that again. You can tell a lot about the foundation that you are building on by your character when you face trials. You want to know what kind of foundation you have? What kind of foundation you're building on? How do you react? What is your character when you face trials? In hard times, do you lift your hands up in frustration, just wrenching your hands because you're just angry and you just give up? So you just lift your hands in exasperation? Or do you lift your hands in worship and praise that even though things are difficult, you know that God will see you through this and so you praise him? that he is still on the throne, that he is in charge, that even when all um, the storms of life are coming against you, you know that he is still Lord and he is still in charge and he will work this out for good. Do you fall to your knees in exhaustion? Do you just look at your bed and just like fall down into it because you just feel tired and weighed down by the burdens and the worries and the problems? Or do you fall to your knees in prayer? Is prayer the first thing you do? Or is it the last? In case of emergency, break glass sort of thing? Is that when we you know, reach for old reliable, we go to God after we have exhausted all of our 
human efforts and our human strengths. Um, right now, men's Bible study is going through Daniel. We just got through the part recently where um, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he refuses to tell anyone what it was. They have to tell him. And, and, and if they, they can't, so he orders them all dead. And when Daniel hears this, he doesn't get together with the other three boys and try to figure out, hmm, let's make educated guesses about what Nebuchadnezzar could have dreamed about. No, the first thing they did was go to God in prayer. And they worshipped him, and they praised him. And God gave them the interpretation for that dream. Do you go to God in prayer or not? I know that I'm, I'm utterly guilty of this. Prayer is not usually the first thing I think of when it should be. If I were on a foundation that were stronger and more of a rock, it would be. So I, I am first in line to say that I, I fail at this way more than I should. Again, if you want to know what kind of foundation you are standing on, your character will say a lot about it when, you re, when you're facing trials. I, I want to give you an example from our own history, one from American history, actually. Um, we're going to go back in time, all the way to the year uh, 1789. Uh, George Washington is in New York City. He has just been sworn in as our nation's first president. And after he is sworn in, George Washington takes Congress. They go down the street of New York, about a block, and they go into St. Paul's Chapel. And there they go and they pray for this brand new nation called America. Pray that God would be the center of it. Um, we know what George Washington prayed because someone wrote it down for us. Um, I, I have uh, translated it into modern English because it's kind of King Jamesy. So just to make it a little bit easier for everyone to read. But this is the prayer that George Washington prayed on the birth of America when America became a constitutional republic. He said, Almighty God, we make it our deepest prayer that you will keep the United States in your holy protection, that you would help America to be obedient to the authority, that, um, that Americans would show friendship and love towards each other all over this country, and finally, that you would be most gracious to give us all a desire to do justice, to love mercy, and that we would act with kindness and humility and gentleness, which are the very characteristics of our maker, Jesus Christ. And unless we act like him, unless we act like Christ, we cannot hope to have a blessed and prosperous nation. Please answer our prayer. We ask you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You don't hear too many politicians praying like that anymore, if they even pray at all. Washington knew that if America was going to stand to survive as a nation, it needed to have a strong foundation. We needed to have God. I bring up the chapel that he, where he prayed for America St. Paul's Chapel, because St. Paul's Chapel has kind of an interesting history. Um, it was built in 1776. It is still the oldest church in New York today. It even survived when the British set it on fire, in, the city of New York on fire, that is, in 1776. This picture here is from uh, the late 1800s. It's the oldest one I could find of it. However, St. Paul's Chapel 
has survived another disaster. Today is September 4th. Next Sunday is September 11th. We will celebrate the 21 anniversary, 21 year anniversary of 9-11 next week. St. Paul's Chapel is in the shadow of 9-11. It's literally a half a block away. And when the terrorists crashed into the Twin Towers and the buildings came down, St. Paul's Chapel was right in the bullseye. As the debris and the smoke and all of that was falling, there was St. Paul's Chapel. The church where George Washington prayed for America. A giant bullseye for this falling debris, smoke, and ash. And yet, and yet, several decades before this, the church there, they had planted this giant sycamore tree, nearly 100 years old. And as that debris and, and glass and metal was falling to the ground, that tree was there behind the church, acting as a giant shield, as it were. And as that debris came and fell, and it smashed and it crushed, and it broke branches and parts of the trunk, the entire top of that tree was destroyed. And yet, the church remained intact. The church did not fall. Not one glass window was broken. Not one brick or one piece of the roof was damaged. The only thing they had to ever replace were the... um, the piping for the old pipe organ. They had to replace the brass piping for the pipe organ because smoke got into it. Beyond that, there was no damage beyond the superficial to the church. That tree protected it. What kept that tree from collapsing? What kept that tree from falling over? What kept that tree from just smashing in to the side of of this church where George Washington prayed for America? The answer is its roots. That sycamore tree had giant, huge roots that went about 18 feet deep and about 25 feet wide. So while the top of the tree was damaged and destroyed, the foundation of the tree, the roots of the tree, remained standing. Um, An artist, after the tree had been removed, he, he took the roots that they had literally had to use bulldozing equipment to kind of pull it out, and he was so impressed by it that he made a mold, and he made a, a piece of art and you can go to New York City near the church today, and I think it's still there. You can still see these, these, this statue that he's made of the root system. It is huge. It is enormous. You can see the, in the picture here the, the church door behind it, the chairs beside it. This thing is 18 feet tall, which is probably about up to the projector where the top of the screen is here. It's probably about 18 feet. Now go 25 feet wide. This tree had a strong foundation. It had strong roots, and it protected the church where George Washington prayed for America to have strong roots, a strong foundation, and that foundation is, of course, God himself, because if the nation does not have God as its foundation, if the nation does not have God as the builder of the house, then we labor in vain. And so this church stood. It survived fire. It survived falling towers. Why? Because strong roots were protecting it. It had a solid foundation. And it still stands today. So what are you rooted in? Who are you rooted in? What is your foundation made of? Is it a foundation of sand? Is it a foundation of rock? Is it something in between, something kind of muddy, 
partially solid sometimes, partially liquid other times? What is your foundation? Who is your foundation? I can only tell you what I know from my own experience and from your own experience too. Whether you are at the, the dawn, early, early dawn of your life or you are near the, the uh, twilight of your life. And you know this to be true. You will face difficulties. We will have trials. Wouldn't you rather have them with God on your side than trying to do it on your own? We've all tried to do things on our own. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Probably not too well. No. We will go through trials. God has promised us in his word. Most of the time, he doesn't keep us from the difficulties of life. He doesn't prevent them. He allows us to go through the flyer. He allows us to go through the water. He doesn't keep us from it, but he takes us through it. And as he takes us through it, he is with us. Going back to my Daniel example from earlier, when he threw Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, he didn't prevent them from being thrown into the fire, but he was with them through the fire. There was a fourth man in the fire. He protected them. He brought them out, and he got glory for it as Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate and praised God in just utter amazement. Just like he says in Isaiah 43, I will walk through the fires, and I will not be burned. I will pass through the waters, and they will not sweep over me. Why? Because God is with me. Is he with you today? Are you with him? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you said yes to him? Have you made him Lord and Savior and Master of your life? Have you built your foundation as Christ? Have you been hearers of his word? Have you been doers of his word? I want to kind of just wrap things up with a prayer. I don't want to just be my words and my prayer. I want to, I want to pray scripture. And I want to end with Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. You can follow along with me or you can uh, close your eyes. Um, but I, I feel that it's very appropriate for what we've talked about this morning. These are the words of Paul. Pray them in your heart with me. I pray that he, Christ, may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I pray that you are rooted and established, that your foundation is him, my brothers and sisters.